Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Ken Reggett. Ken played between the pipes in over 500 NHL games from 1984 to 2001 with five teams, your Toronto Maple Leafs, as well as the Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Calgary Flames, and Detroit Red Wings. Although a legend in Pittsburgh, where he won a Stanley Cup in 1992 and is the fourth winningest goaltender in franchise history, Ken is equally beloved here in Toronto, where he made up one half of a very youthful goaltending tandem with Alan Bester for five seasons in the 1980s. Welcome, Ken Reggett, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Yeah. Well, first off, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I'm here down here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, a little bit south of Toronto. Um, uh, I, I came in, I retired back in 2001 and uh, called this home. Uh, and uh, right now, been uh, we have a sports bar and grill um, on Washington Pike, just off of 79. So any uh, snowbirds going south of Toronto, you fly right by our place, or more than welcome to talk Canadian because I get heck about my Canadian accent, and I need some Canadian people to talk to. <laughs> That's great, and I I assume it's high times at the sports bar and grill right now because we are in the middle of the playoffs. Uh, I know that, uh, like us here in Toronto, unfortunately the Penguins are, are also out. But are you are these busy busy times? Do you get a lot of NBA playoff fans as well? We somewhat do. We're we're more of a hockey, football type of thing. Uh, NBA uh, is not quite here in Pittsburgh. Um, baseball and, and baseball, you know, we're kind of yearning for that one to, to really, uh, you know, entertain us a little bit more. And uh, but it's a big hockey community and a huge uh, St- Pittsburgh Steeler uh, community as well. So it's uh, for me, it's uh, it's it's the type of thing. It's home, and uh, I, I've grown a a passion for Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania area. But uh, my heart has always been up in Canada growing up and uh, being drafted by Toronto and the whole, the whole sure. night. Well, I want to get in. I want to get into all that. So with yeah. your uh, approval, let's go all the way back and get the Kenny Reggett story. You are not a native Torontonian. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Um <laughs> I was born in Brandon, Manitoba. Uh, uh, my father was in the Canadian Air Force. Um, my brother was uh, born in uh, France, one wing France. Um, and uh, so in other words, my, my parents started their family and they wanted to move back to Canada to raise a family. And there's only my brother and I, and he's a year and a half older and I am Dave. Uh, great guy. Um, love him to death, actually. Um, but anyway, so that's that's kind of where we where uh, I came along was uh, in uh, Brandon, Manitoba, and we were on our way moving to from from France over to I believe it was France over to uh, Cole Lake, Alberta. Again, my father was in the Air Force, and and uh, they're visiting their uh, family, them uh, being my dad's family, the Regis, and uh, in Brandon, Manitoba. And I, apparently, I popped out a couple weeks early. Um, God bless him making that travel that far along the, the gestation period. Great for that. 
Um, but and and so my my roots are are in Brandon and uh, and uh, I'm a true Canadian all the way through. But moved up to uh, Cold Lake, Alberta. My we spent ten years there uh, with my father uh, being in the Air Force, like I said. Um, from there, I got drafted into uh, not drafted, but chosen by the Lethbridge Broncos to help them out. And I talked to John Chapman. He was a coach. He came and uh, pulled me in, I guess, from uh, from uh, playing junior B hockey up in that neck of the woods, uh, scouted by Gary Sutter, the oldest Sutter brother. I'm just okay. giving a whole bunch of hints that you have to have me on later to explain this. Well, believe, listen, Ken, I can tell you right now, based on the amount of stuff I want to talk to you about, we can make this a 10-part uh, Netflix series. But you're going too fast. I want to stop you for a sec. You went to Grand Center High School in Cold Lake. Yep. How did you get into hockey? When did you first strap on the skates, and, and how did you get into the game? Yeah, that would have been up in Cold Lake, uh, Alberta, in uh, Medley, Alberta, if you want to have it be. That would be the Air Force Base. Um, and, and my brother was a year and a half older, and, my, my, and he was playing hockey. I think we got transferred from Cold Lake to Greenville, Scotia. About 73, I think, and my brother was playing hockey. My dad would bring him down the uh, basement, and, you know, and I was a young kid, and I was stuck in front of the workbench, which was a couple two-by-fours at the door sitting on with a bunch of tools in the background. He was uh, <laughs> he was a mechanic. Um, and then they would shoot on that workbench, was the goal. So they would shoot on me, and I was a goaltender trying to stop the puck. My brother Dave has a great story about that one. So I, you know, that's kind of how I got brought onto the the goaltending aspect of hockey, I guess, other than the usual typical. Well, that sounds like the usual yeah. method. The younger brother gets thrown in net, someone yeah. to shoot at. In the basement, and this is uh, <laughs> until I was old enough where they could actually put me out and do this in public, I guess. Yeah. And, and so where did you play your junior hockey? In Lethbridge, Alberta. Lethbridge Broncos. Yep. And during this career, you had a nickname. Uh, do you remember what that was and how you got it? Well, I'm thinking the one you may know is Mikey, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that is based, of course, on your resemblance at the time to the character in the uh, Life Serial commercials. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Mikey likes everything. Yeah, and uh, a little bit that went along with that was I went to my first training camp uh, down in Toronto. I we showed up and I showed up and I was about 193 pounds. I left at a little over 200 in a training camp. That's uh, a little bit on the unusual side. Well, when you were playing Lethbridge Broncos and you were leading up to the draft day, the 1982 NHL draft was in Montreal at the Montreal Forum. Would you have been, now back then the drafts were different. Would you have been in Montreal for that draft? And did you have any inkling that you were going to be drafted? Uh, yeah, drafts were different back then. Um, and that goes back, like you said, to 82. And um, it, it like the first round draft picks would, uh, the agents would or the team would fly them or bring them into town. And uh, I think predominantly that was up in Toronto at that point. Um and I, I was I was uh, the the first goalie drafted in 1982, um, and uh, no, I wasn't there. I was uh, I was I was uh, getting ready to go to school in Lethbridge, Alberta, at Winston Churchill High School with uh, Bruce Bernice Redman and having breakfast when I got the call that I was drafted. Let's stop on that. You're sitting in your kitchen having breakfast, about to go to high school, and you get a phone call that you've been drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
You were, as you note, 45th overall, third round, the very first goaltender in that 1982 draft. So yeah. tell me about this call at breakfast. I mean, what must that have been like? Uh, th- this is actually a, a, a bit of a story in itself. Um, and then it goes back to Greenman, Nova Scotia, where we my father was stationed out there, and it was, I think it was fifth grade. And uh, and uh, I got detention um, in history class for laughing. <laughs> So, so I, I, you know, I went to detention. My my uh, teaching person was also the history teacher, was which was Donnie Hislop. And uh, so when when I got to detention, I hadn't been in detention. So when I got to detention, he introduced me to the detention class uh, as the, you know, this is this is Ken, uh, the next future uh, All Star goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm. And that's how I was introduced by Donnie at that point. Hmm. So fast forward, I don't know how many years into 1982, I was sitting at the breakfast table with uh, Bruce Redman, uh, my belt, and Bernice, uh, the family. And, uh, and actually, go back or fast forward a little bit, but uh, the dinner dinner time before that, he said, everything aside, he said, Ken, where, where do you think, uh, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow in, that, in, the, in the NHL draft? And I, and I kind of looked up at him and I said, like I am with you right now, funny story. I said, I said, when I was in the fifth grade, I got detention. Donnie Hislop introduced me to detention classes. This is Ken Reggett, the next future goaltender of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's back in the 70s. And I, and I said, uh, so I think I'm going to get drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, it, it must happen. It's going to happen. <clears throat> So he kind of he kind of he kind of looked at me, kind of smirked and nodded. He great guy, and uh, he goes, "Well, peculiar." He said, "What round do you think you'd be going? You know, do you think you'd go in?" I said, "Well, I said I think the third round." And he said, "Why is that?" And I said, "Well, I said, I know this one fellow from the area. He was drafted, a, a, I think, the year before in the fifth round." And I said, I think I'm a better goaltender than he is. And I said, I, I think I can make the third round. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough that the first goalie, whatever, all that. Yeah. Back, back in the really good things, you know, Grant Fuhrer and the guys were in the first round, which is, you know, getting brass, which is an icon, uh, which would have been cool. But but anyway, so that, that was my story. I told him Toronto, and I told him the third round, so. And that was dinner time. Went to bed and everything and all that. You know, got up next morning out in Lethbridge uh, to go to school. Um, and we had a great team at that point. Uh, Lethbridge Broncos back in '82. Uh, um, so the phone rings, and uh, as we're sitting at the breakfast table with Bruce and Bernice, and Bernice, Bernice uh, picked the phone up, and uh, she goes, "It's for you. It's your agent calling." I said. I said, all right. So I kind of looked over at Bruce, and we kind of had that smirk. So I, I, I grabbed the phone. I said hello, and, and uh, I think her name was Lorna. She said, uh, you know, congratulations. You've been drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and and uh, the general manager, Jerry McNamara, is going to be calling you in a little bit, and they're obviously in the middle of the draft. It wasn't quite like it, I think it wasn't quite like it is now. And uh, so – she told me all about the draft, so I, I, I hung up and I went and sat down at the, at the breakfast table, and 
Bruce kind of looked up at me and he said, uh, so I go, I go, yeah, I got drafted. And, uh, and he goes, by who? And I kind of looked over at him. I said, Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. And, and he kind of, you know, he had that look on him. He looked at me and he said, what round? And I looked at him and I go, third round. And he just, I mean, both of us, it was like, it was, it was uncanny that we had, you know, the night before we had talked about that, but that's, that's how the whole, uh, whole thing started right there. Kenya called your shot. That's incredible. Yeah. Now, okay. Let me get this straight. You didn't finish your breakfast, pack up your school bag, and then you go off to school. I mean, yeah. what kind of day was that? Yeah. Good call on your part. Uh, yeah. So, so we went down, uh, to the high school and, uh, so it, it was like I, you know, I showed up, walked in, and a couple of guys as you walked in the front, you would check in with uh, Donnie Firthy, our our, uh, our uh, guidance counselor or principal, I think, at that point, to make sure we're in school. Understandable. I, I get it now. I didn't then. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, we had Troy Loney there. We had uh, we had Ronnie Richie Sutter. We had uh, Gerald Dick. We had. Uh, we we do had an unbelievable team, mm. um, Burnsman. So we had a number of guys that ended up being drafted. So we we get in there and and uh, you know Ronnie and Rich, had, I believe Troy as well. Maybe not Troy, but you know they said yeah. You know what happened? You know, get a call this morning and and they were drafted in the first round and and uh, and, uh, and uh, you know I said yeah I got drafted by you know Toronto and you know, and, and had the story so. And that's how the day started. You know, we we had a we had an amazing team, amazing coach. We had, had amazing. Luckily, I mean, I'm very blessed. Luckily, with amazing people all around me. Yeah, and, uh, you know, to have all this happen was uh, it was pretty cool. What an incredible day! Now, to just fast forward a little, Ken, you make your NHL debut. You are still playing for Lethbridge, and in 1983-84 season, you suited up for three games for the Leafs. You won your first NHL game. You made a jaw-dropping 48 saves in Toronto's 8-6 win on the road against the Hartford Whalers. Talk about the experience of your first NHL game with the Toronto Maple Leafs, no less. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a hoot in itself. Uh, <laughs> we were, the first NHL game ended up being in, uh, in Hartford, uh, at, at the Hartford Civic Center. And uh, as you can imagine, a guy called up, you know, whether you're, I, I would imagine drafted first overall, the first goalie overall. I mean, I was, I was always a nervous guy. So I, I was, I was nervous. So before the game, I'm trying to find my, my bearings and get ready for the game. And I was, you know, kind of walk around, make sure the sticks are good, skis fine, equipment's fine. And, you know, checked in with whoever I had checked in with. <clears throat> Come around the corner and there's a uh, builder's, <laughs> Billy Durlego, Rick Vive, and John Anderson, you know, um, shooting the breeze. And, and and they were a group of characters in themselves, let me first say that. And uh, I, I remember uh, they were kind of laughing at me being a rookie and starting the first game and the whole nine yards. And I remember Billy looking over at John, he goes, and looking up at me, he goes, stop 50 kids and we'll get and we'll win. And I'm thinking like, Okay, <laughs> you know, didn't know what to think on that one. <laughs> and you did, Ken. You did. Yeah, well, it was only forty-eight. Apparently, 
<laughs> you got but, the W. Yeah, but but as it turns out, I, I believe I may be incorrect, but Enstanioski was the other goaltender for Hartford, and I think he was a goaltender for Lethbridge Broncos. Apparently, way back, you may want to do your research on that. Okay, one. but but it, it was like, yeah, we won the game eight six. I mean, <laughs> and Billy wasn't far off, soft fifty kid more right. But we won the game eight six, regardless. Absolutely. Six goals in. I, I, my first game was a win, so I, I, you know, what a memory. Now, over the next two seasons, you split time between the American Hockey League affiliate in, in St. Catharines and the Maple Leafs. You shared the net with Tim Bernhardt, the veteran Don Edwards. And then the following year, 86-87, you took over the starting duties for the Leafs in tandem with another youngster, Alan Bester. How did you find out that 86-87, you two guys would be the team, the goalies, and, and uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, that was uh, – I, I mean, you were drafted. Like, and keep in mind, I was drafted in 82, and then you play your junior out. You know, I'm not one of those guys that jump right in type of thing. You know, and goalies, you know, at, at that point, um, need a little more seasoning to get their – you know, get to where they're going. Um, so uh, – which was understandable. So, you know, it took me a couple of years to get going, and I we're back in uh, – you know, 80, 84, five. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact question. Yeah. Point. But just as you, as you realize that you and Alan were going to be the goalies in that 86, 87 season, how yeah. were you kind of told this? Did you know that coming in and, and you must've been very amped up? No, we were excited. I mean, and we didn't know we'd be playing together because it was rare at that point. Um, as I said, up and did you have two rookie goaltenders and you had Al, which was, you know, on, on one one side of what what you want from a goaltender, and then you had myself, and I, I'm only six one, and you know I was touted as a uh, a larger, bigger goaltender at that point, which may have been the case. It was the case, but in in today's era, that's you know I'm on the I'm on the opposite side of that scale. Like it's you got guys that are six three, six five that fill the net type of thing. Yeah, Vasilevsky so, is six five on skates now, and you can yeah. barely see the net. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what we're looking for. So, back in the eighties, and, and and we're coming off of Mike Palmatier as well as a goaltender for, and he was amazing in himself. What agility wise, what he could do handling the puck. Um, I'm sure Ron Hexel at some point kind of you know watched a little bit of uh, Mike Palmatier what he could do. But so you had Al who was a bit of a you know on on the shorter side of things, and the the, the thing was you come out further and you, he's reflex goaltender so. Kind of a curveball if you're playing baseball, I guess, on, on your pitcher's lineup or your batter's lineup. And then you got a guy who's a little bit bigger, who was sort of as bigger. So they kind of had that, both those uh, options, but at the same time, you had two rookie goaltenders, which Al and I were only born a day apart. So, and that's where the, you know, the, you know, the miners come into the thing, and that's where Donnie, you know, they did everything they could to try to do the best they can to help progress a team and on the right thing and, and uh, owning a business. I know we, we work, work with consultants and everything else to try to find what you're doing wrong. Try to find how you can to try to find how you can uh, put things together to win, to be successful. And that's, that's kind of how we grew up, I guess, you know, right through junior and Toronto. 
It's all about teamwork. There, there have been many great duos over modern history. We've got Bert and Ernie, Batman and Robin, Simon Garfunkel. We got Ken Reggett and Alan Bester. I want to ask you about your relationship with Alan Bester. Both of you were thrust into action. I mean, you were you were so young as a tandem. As you point out, Ken, today goalie platoons are not only accepted but demanded. Load management is a thing. But how did you feel about sharing the net with Alan back then? And I guess I want to know if it's a more of a collaborative, supportive relationship or a combative relationship. And before I let you answer, I just want to point out, Alan was a previous guest on this podcast. He said your relationship was at times difficult and strained. But I want to tell you, he took most of the responsibility for that he noted really that both of you were so young and essentially still transitioning from teens into men in the Toronto spotlight, no less. What were your thoughts on your relationship and, and the situation you guys found yourself in? Yeah, with uh, with uh, that's, again, a great question. I, I've been looking forward to doing this podcast because uh, I know up in Toronto you guys are uh, Canadian, I get it. Um, and for Al to say that, that's, that's quite a statement as well, but... Uh, Alan and I, like, we were born one day apart. We were, I, I'm not sure, drafted in the same year. You probably know that. He, sure. was, he was one year after you. One year after, okay. And that one year after, when all that stuff came, he came along board. He did a great job playing, filling in for, I don't know if it was Rick St. Croix injured, whether it was Michael's injured. But uh, he, he did a great job, and he, he shone in the Toronto hockey world and which is what Toronto needs and still needs. Um, um, it, 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 and we'll, and they'll get, we'll get there. They'll get there. There's no doubt about that. But Alan, but Alan and I, um, you take two guys that are so close and everything, but yet different, but are still striving for the same thing. And you take two professionally athletes. All right. Very competitive. Uh, very tooth and nail, we'll do anything they can to win. And we did a great job, and, and, and we got along as friends. Uh, we roomed together, and it was not the easiest thing because he wanted the spot. I wanted the spot. We both wanted the spot. And, and that's what you wanted in a couple of goaltenders, as well as working along together type of thing. And I think the relationship I had with Alan uh, back in those days, I respect him to this day full-heartedly, and I'd, uh, I'll get a hold of him along the way here, but uh, like great guy, and that's that's where that's where he and I were in that position. Now, if you, and I'm going to take me, not him. Uh, moving forward, I, I I played with Ronnie Hexall. I played with Tom Barrasso. I I, uh, I I understand how the dynamics are with working with a goaltender, with working with someone like Al and I. And uh, Al and I was a big part of Al and I and the Toronto Maple Leafs and what we were able to do back in those eras. And and, uh, and he made me a better player in the sense that, you know, he, he made me compete for it wasn't you're walking in and it's your job. And that's all of our jobs to make each other better. And you mentioned earlier, and that was chemistry. And that was the same thing for me, you know. And then all working with Donnie and those guys, and for me, I was fortunate enough to go out with Tommy Brasso and uh, the guys we had here, and, and uh, you know, very fortunate to, to, to land in '92 here with the Stanley Cup. And uh, but just, just the offerings and what what hockey has brought to my life, and 
for all of our lives that listen to this, to hear these things, you know, and it, it it's probably something to be told more clearly now than back then. But, uh, you know, with, it's always nice to look back and you see things with more clarity. Yeah. Ken, I want to talk to you about two very important topics from in particular your time in Toronto, the 1987 playoffs, the save and the reg net. Let's talk about the save April 20th, 1987. I hope you, uh, do you recall what I'm about to talk to you about? St. Louis blues. You know, <laughs> you're dead. Let me set it up for you. If I may, I want to give a shout out to uh, Mike Jello of hockey buzz who calls this an epic save and to Jeff Merrick of 32 thoughts podcast, who has called it the greatest save ever the playoffs against the St. Louis blues. The Leafs are up two to one desperately holding off the blues in the third period. I'm going to let the Toronto star take the description from here. Ken Reggett made a game saving spectacular save late in the game, a dramatic glove hand catch of a blistering 35 foot slap shot by Gino Cavallini asked if he shot, saw the shot. Reggett replied, I had one eye open. Yeah. <laughs> what do you remember about that? I, I, I don't know. I guess I guess you a person plays the game enough, you kind of see how things set up, and I I I kinda <laughs> I kind of felt that was happening. You see the puck was going over and back and it was right on. It was a one timer, and that's I knew where I was standing in the net, which was a little bit uh protecting the blocker side and leaving a little bit of glove and everything. So I had five hole low and uh, up high uh, glove to deal with. And I'd like to say I, I mind melted him to shoot in my glove. <laughs> well, you certainly did. And I just, I'm impressed, you know, 30 years later that you obviously remember it so vividly. Um, I want to give you a little trivia, by the way, at that exact game, watching you make that save, which by the way, I'm going to post the photo of that save. So you, you will, we'll all see it on the internet soon. In a private box watching you make that save were Steve Gutenberg, Ted Danson, and Tom Selleck. They were filming the uh, Three Men and a Baby. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if they came down to see you guys after. <laughs> I also want to talk to you about the second thing is the reg net. And you're going to say, what the heck is that? Well, it never came to be. I'm, I'm very entrepreneurial, and I, have, I had a lot of business ideas. And at that time... Many players had habits and rituals. Do you remember you had a very particular habit or ritual? Do you, do you want to take a guess at what I'm talking about? Um, uh, I had a lot of quirks. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a good one here. And it, it's along the lines of uh, the Red Sox, Nomar Garcia Parra used to tug on his batting gloves and Utah jazz player Jeff Hornacek used to rub his face three times before taking a free throw. You can reg it. After every save, you would turn to your net, remove your gloves, and you would scrape your hand on the top of the netting. Now, I assume this wasn't so much a habit as it was you were just drying your hand. Do you, do you, know, do you recall what I'm talking about? I, I, I do. No, after, after breaks like that, I, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would, I, I sweat a lot. So I, I would typically lose eight, 12 pounds a game. And, uh, I, I know all those health nuts out there as you're drinking water. Um, all those health nuts out there say you have to keep hydrated and stuff. But I, I was just one of those guys that did that. So um, I would dry my hands off to make sure they're dry because the leather, especially you know, kind of back then, they, they got it got pretty slippery in there. So you really have to hold on. So that that's why I did that. I mean, 
and I, probably probably to ease my brain of some sort. There was probably some psychological thing going on as well. Well, today I don't know how much you followed the least playoff run, but uh, Jack Campbell, the goalie, Campbell soup. Everyone's yelling soup, which <laughs> I find kind of lame. When I was uh, seventeen, and you were making these huge saves, I was going to go get wholesale netting, cut it into little two by two swaths. And my proposal was every time Ken Reggett made a big save, we would all hold up our piece of netting and scrape it the way you did. So never got off the ground, but I, yeah. I, uh, I'm pleased to have told you yeah. everyone has ideas, but yeah. <laughs> it never turned into anything. I want to talk to you about your move after your Toronto Maple Leafs time. You again had kind of this tandem in that with Alan Bester. At some point, the Leafs decided that they were going to make a change. They traded you to Philadelphia. This uh, ended up putting you with Ron Hextall in the Philly crease. And uh, maybe you want to talk about your experience with the Flyers. Yeah, I, I, uh, and, and I'll back that up till to getting called in the uh, up in the office in General uh, Jerry McNamara's office uh, to let me know I I traded. Um, you know, he, he called me and. and uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was him or Gord, so he called me and said, come on in, we, you know, we have to sit down and talk. Uh, you know, you got traded type thing to Philly. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I went up in the uh, old Maple Leaf Gardens, you know, up the escalators in the in the uh, office, and, and uh, you know, they told me his trade, and they felt that was, they at that point felt they were doing the best thing for me. They didn't feel the environment. I mean, Whatever said said you know didn't feel the environment. I guess it wasn't working out in the direction they wanted things to go, and 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 uh, they, they kind of felt a little bit uneasy. I felt because uh, it wasn't quite working out. We had a lot of good things. Toronto's a great organization. Um, they had a lot of good players, and it was just a matter of getting things on track. And we were trying to. Get, get to where we need to go the best way. And, and uh, I was perhaps one of the guys along the way that was an asset to help build things to make things better moving forward down the road. I don't know if yeah, that's well, accurate or not, but yeah. Safe, safe to say then, I guess you were, you were caught off guard. You weren't expecting it. But as you know now, it's part of the business. But I can imagine yeah. the first time you're traded must be quite a shock to the system. Yeah, it was rough, and that's where I was going with the story. Like, I went up the escalators, and then as I was got told, and I was coming down the escalators, like, I looked at the banners um, beside the escalators, and it's gone up and down there. They, you know, they they see them, and, and the greatness of the uh, the team, and, and for me was, I always wanted to build something to be a winner there. It, it, uh, it hurt. It hurt. It hurt a lot. But it was understood at the same time, and at the same time, you know, I have a, a career. I don't think I was looking so much at that, but I was just kind of, uh, I felt like I failed. Mm. Um, it was tough. It was tough. I think when you look back at the experience, you certainly have a different viewpoint on it, but it gave you an opportunity, though, Ken, to be in a, a, another tandem, and you've had so many of these over your career. What was your experience playing with Ron Hextall, like 
Yeah, right. Well, well, from there I went to uh, yeah. So, anyways, you know, except that down the road, that's what it is. I may have my feelings about you know being traded, and, that's, and I think those are healthy feelings. I think that's a passionate feeling, and that's good for the team, and that's good for the country, and all that fun stuff. So off I go down the United States. So, uh, um, you know, I, they they uh, so they asked me where I wanted to go. So, and I said, I said not Philadelphia. And, and okay. the question was asked why. I said, well, I don't know. I've been in the league like four to five years, and there's this one car that was burnt out down under an underpass on the way to the the Spectrum in that old or like the football stadium out in that, that area. And and I and that was a, the one place I said, it was turned off the next day, boom, there I am. And, uh, and it really I'm, hits home. It's a business. You're you're – I mean, if you think about it, and that's what it is. You're a piece of meat. You're a piece of meat uh, doing your job, and you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and there's an elegance into doing that properly, too, because you're very fortunate to be able to be in that situation. And, uh, you know, not many, you know, you're less than 1% of 1% to maybe have that opportunity, especially if you go for any individual team and, uh, you know, Toronto's a big team in in, uh, in Canada, and that was a huge, huge honor in itself. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm very grateful. So, as I head off to Philly and, and go there, and uh, and I was thinking, like, you know, I don't know why they want me. They got Pete Peters, they got Ronnie Axel there, and and uh, basically what that was was a, a fallout. And if you watch, you know, for hockey fans out there, you watch my number. I was 31. They went thirty-five dollars zero, and that was because of Pelly. Remember, again, the, the incident surrounded Pelly is indirectly or somewhat directly how I uh, made myself there. Mm. So here I am uh, sitting in the dressing room, uh, you know, in the practice rink out in Voorhees, and there's me in the middle. There's Ron Hexall over on my left, and uh, <laughs> Pete Peters on my right. And Pete, anybody that knows Pete Peters is a great, funny guy. That he, he's, you got to go on any type of trip anywhere you want to go. You want to have him beside you because he'll okay. you the whole time. And then you got Ronnie, who's just intense as anything. And, and then sitting here in Pittsburgh when he came as general manager, like I was, I still am pumped and stoked because he doesn't do anything not to win type of mm-hmm. thing. It was, it was, it was kind of the, you know, how, how does, and then salvage closure came out. So now you got three goaltenders, and I think the top five salary of payroll mm. in in Philadelphia. How do you manage that? And, and mm-hmm. how do you trade two first round draft picks for a guy to fit in when you got two goaltenders in the top? You know, it's it's it was and what the what Bobby Clark and and all the general managers and stuff thought and put things together, and that goes on to this day with all these trades we we see is. The hockey tradition runs deep, and uh, what 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 they're doing is not not uh, an accident. They they have a reason for everything. So, you know, I ended up out in Philly. There I was, and uh, you actually carried the load in Philly at one time. Well, uh, Ron Hextall was battling a series of injuries, and uh, you played fifty one games in one particular year as he got back to health. But in ninety one ninety two. You went to the cross-state rival, Pittsburgh Penguins. This was can be best described as a blockbuster transaction as the Penguins were the reigning champions. And you and Rick Tockett went 
in exchange for Mark Recchi. Your trade from Philly to Pittsburgh was only the eighth trade in history between these two state rivals. How did that feel knowing you were going across to Pittsburgh? I, I don't think I understood the, uh, the rivalry of source between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia at that point that I understand it at this point. Um, it would be kind of understanding like a Toronto, uh, Detroit or Toronto, Chicago rivalry. Sure. I'm not Toronto, Montreal. Yeah. Because those are, those are, uh, those are classic uh, with, within the country itself. But so I, so I, it's, it, it was that, that type of atmosphere that, that, uh, Pittsburgh to, uh, from Philadelphia, there's, there's a lot of, going on there and I should I should have realized that a long time earlier uh, but uh, but uh, yeah that that in itself and then because it, I think it was a year before I got traded in, in 92 when I was traded it was 80, 89 I believe the year before Pittsburgh won their first cup which was 91 so it might have been the 89-90 season I got thrown in because Ronnie got injured uh, he was having a bad knee I guess along the way I didn't even know about it Mm-hmm. I did not know about it until we uh, game seven of the of the semifinals. Like it was a semifinal, um, and they told me in the morning that I'd be starting that night. And let me tell you, that was uh, you know good luck having an afternoon nap and digesting try to eat the rest. When when your hotel room looks overlooks the Civic Arena, wow! I remember looking up. So I got I got thrown in, you know, because Ryan came out. But the, the rivalry was huge and huge. And then to, to beat Pittsburgh uh, with Philadelphia to move on against Montreal, and they get traded here like a year later. Uh, that is kind of an iconic photo of you, which I came across. Uh, you don't usually see the goalie throwing punches. No. No. <laughs> now, Ken, in 92, when you join the Penguins, this team has five Hall of Famers, Mario Lemieux, Ron Francis, Larry Murphy, Brian Trache, and Joey Mullen, plus some other players you may have heard of, Yamir Yager, Kevin Stevens, Rick Tockett. I mean, what a lineup. 92, you win the Cup. How much must that have felt? Yeah, that, that, that was that, – that, that felt unbelievable. It was to, you know, to, to be part of things. I, I, I kind of, in some sense, wish that – I wasn't traded here in February type of thing. It came on as late as I did, but still there's a big part to, to, to take part in to help get to that point, whether you're the backup goalie, whether you're the third string goalie, you can look at um, Pittsburgh this year with uh, Louis Domingue and uh, how important that is. And, or even if you want to go back with Montreal and Ken Dryden as a rookie year and, and doing his stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things like that, but, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it was it was much of an honor to come in and, and uh, you know play with these guys. It was like, like walking into an uh, in an all star game lineup dressing room, like you know with Mario and those guys, and uh, and and you know, I was lucky to come, lucky enough to come over with Rick uh, Tockett and and Shell Samuelson, and Shell and I did room together for some time, and uh, you know I think that always for me that helped. You know, like I wasn't like a, a dominant guy. I think. I always joke around that I was a, a throw in, you know, in that trade because there was a lot. Craig Patrick with the Penguins for the winning the '91 Cup with uh, Ronnie Francis and Alfie Samuelson back the year before. I, I wasn't Recky, it was uh, Colin. And then what happened in '92? Like Craig was known for those two big trades that helped Pittsburgh 
get to their first two cups ever, mm-hmm. and that was it was key. And, and if you look at the hockey history between Toronto and uh, Pittsburgh, there's a lot there too. And uh, you know, so I, in a way, I'm, I'm hugely honored to be part of. I am hugely honored to be part, be part of Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, to have the opportunity with Toronto. And uh, I really see things for what they are a lot more clearly now. That's fabulous. And in, in Pittsburgh as well, um, you have a little bit of historical. You faced the first penalty shot ever awarded during an overtime period in NHL playoff history. This is 1996. You stopped Joe Juno, and the Penguins won 3-2 in the fourth overtime period. What do you remember about that game? It just went on forever. Yeah, that that uh, yeah that was quite, that was quite a game. Uh, uh, Mario or Tommy got in there. Um, I guess after after the first period, he didn't necessarily get injured, but his back was acting up and bothering him. Where after the first, he had to come out. So uh, you know, obviously, I went in, and uh, I think the game at that point, I'm not certain, but I think was two one. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, they didn't have a shot on that for about the first eight minutes. And the first shot on that was in that. Mm-hmm. So I think it was two two, and I think we scored another. Or maybe that was it, or it was three three. But anyway, so the first shot was a goal. I remember that. And the game mm-hmm. went on, and it was like the the as things get along, it was like the the first overtime. The second overtime, we were just starting to settle in that how to like our, our both teams were like, okay, this is how you play hockey, and it really turned into a, a seven game series playoff match. Everyone was playing their their jobs, and the young guys were understanding. It was it was really neat. So as as the game went on, um, I think that penalty shot was in one, two, three, four, fourth overtime, and. Uh, I think it was the fourth, fourth overtime. And and we're in Washington. This was a really neat part. So we're in Washington on the road. The game was getting along. It was after midnight. So people that were there, season tickets, or they had to go to work the next day. Yeah. People that were there to support the the, the uh, Penguins, they were on a road trip. So by the end of the game, the whole bottom bowl was almost filled with Pittsburgh fans, and it was like a home game. They were banging on the glass, rooting, on, rooting us on. Penalty shot comes up. And I'm, I'm, you know, it's Joey Juno, and I'm kind of looking at it. And I kind, I kind of think it was a questionable call too, but it was playoffs and whatever. Yeah. So uh, uh, Joey Juno was lining up, and I always did a little figure eight in the crease to pull the, the snow away, or you know. And as I was doing that, I realized how chipped up, you know, big chips up the ice. I knew it was chipped up. So I thought, as a goaltender, um, if I come out further, that gives the shooter less to shoot at, so it'll, it'll kind of somewhat force him to, to deke, deal with the snow, with the stick, on, you know, on, back on the stick. And if I stayed back, he'd probably shoot it and give him more net. So if I stayed back, so I was thinking, well, maybe they'll come out and play it a little more. Make it, and I'm, and I'm, trust me, I'm like... I'm, uh, I'm not too comfortable because you know, so so I decided to come out and play a little more. So the, the referee talks to him at the, at the center ice, and you know he looks down at me, and everything's all set. It's a puck, so I, I I think I'm stepping out. I don't really step out that far to do what I planned. Yeah. 
Luckily enough, he comes in just over the blue line. If you look at it on replay, the puck will buck jump up about six inches. Six oh, wow. Is above his stick from the snow. And he basically shoveled it in just to get it on, you know, in, into me type of thing. And I was I was still too deep at that point. But yeah. Ended up playing that well. But that was, that was kind of interesting to, to see that unfold like that with the, the puck jumping the ice and the snow and Oh, well, that's it's amazing to me, Ken. That all these years later, how vivid your memories are. It's it's incredible. You can just see your. It's it's like you're doing it again. But you made that big save. The Penguins won. I want to talk to you briefly. I don't know if you're involved at all. Very quirky thing. While you were playing in Pittsburgh, they decided to make a copycat film. Uh, basically, Die Hard in an ice hockey stadium. The movie was called Sudden Death. Jean Claude Van Damme. You guys were in a lockout, the NHL was. The film was shot during this lockout. And uh, it was about a, foiling a plot to blow up the old Civic Arena, the Igloo, during Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Do you remember being there during the filming of this movie? And were you involved at all? Yeah, I, I, I do remember the whole thing, yeah. yeah that, was, uh, that was a lockout year as well. And uh, we went into, uh, I, helped, I helped Larry Murphy, went down to Toronto for the players' meetings, and that was where things got really organized. We're so organized than we are now. Um, and then we came back and we, we filmed it, and it was our farm team, uh, which against uh, the big team, the Penguins, and the, the farm team having the Chicago Blackhawks jerseys on and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think all my footage ended up on the editing room floor on that one. So. <laughs> well, I had there was a little trivia from it. It mentioned that they uh, they were able to use the actual uniform number thirty five and the equipment of your partner Tom Barrasso, but he had declined to roll in the film. He gave them permission to use his stuff. So inexplicably, they had Jean Claude Van Damme, who's not that big, uh, wearing Tom Barrasso's equipment. And uh, one scene, he's for unknown reasons, thrown into net and he makes a save with his eyes closed. And uh, the other side trivia was that Yamir Yaga was apparently unhappy. His uniform number, 68, was used by a player who was scored against three times. So he was plus minus minus three. And Yamir wasn't happy about that. Yeah. That's that's quite a bit of a, I think the owner of the Penguins, uh, Baldwin, his yeah. wife had written the story, if I'm not mistaken. That's how that all came together. Yeah, I think she may have been involved in some of the script writing. Yeah. Ken, you went on from Pittsburgh. You were in Calgary. You were in Detroit. You were more in kind of a mentoring role. And in, in 2001, just leading into that season, you were a uh, free agent for the first time in your career. And signing with Detroit, they loaned you to the Manitoba Moose. You finished your career there at the age of 37. How'd you feel about retirement and how'd you feel about finishing your career back in Manitoba? Well, when I left Pittsburgh, um, the head off to Calgary, I was on a no trade contract. Um, so I didn't necessarily have to uh, agree to any trade. In fact, I had to approve the trade before it happened. Um, there was talk about me going uh, to Nat. I think it was Nashville and Carolina. There were talk about me going to Nashville. Um, like we had spoke about earlier, I'm from out west, uh, up in northeast of uh, Lake Alberta, Medley, Alberta, Air Force Base, northeast of uh, Edmonton. 
so to have the opportunity to Calgary was kind of like going home for for me, and and then that that was a big thing, and and they knew that, they knew that, and they I knew I was kind of edging towards the end there, and I thought it'd be a good place. I'm not saying Nashville wouldn't have been a bad place. I you know we we have country bands here every weekend. Mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed it very much, but I, I just kind of wanted to go home a bit. But uh, so we. Uh, so I, I decided to go to Calgary, and, and unfortunately, uh, a year after I had had some disc uh, issues with my back, and when I got to Calgary, it it didn't seem to be quite resolved, and I missed half a season, uh, and it was very unfortunate because he went through, uh, you know, so many goaltenders that didn't need to be in that position that may have been thrown in for the time they could have something more happened to him and that was a pleasant thing for Al Coast or myself. We did, we didn't enjoy that. I know he didn't. I didn't talk to him about that. I don't imagine he's too happy with me and I wasn't happy with me at this point. But that's what happened. Um so I, after the year I was on a year contract, uh we, we looked at another contract and um decided that wouldn't be perhaps the best thing and, and uh trade Detroit went. Um um, or a, a signing with Detroit went and that and I had a couple options and one was the Rangers one was Chicago one was Detroit and I I felt Detroit may have been the best option at that point um, and that was tough because of the rivalry with Toronto going back to all those years like I, I don't mm-hmm. think we ever got comfortable or Detroit's a great organization great people involved great ownership great city I just and I think it's because of the hockey history growing up that Perhaps comfortable. Anyways, the second year, the uh, uh, after the first, they they sent me down to uh, uh, Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba Moose, mm-hmm. and uh, that would have been the 2000-2001 season. And uh, Randy Carlisle was the coach, and, and we were kind of working on the new arena to get the Winnipeg Jacks back in town, type of thing. And I was very happy and fortunate to be part of that because Canada hockey history and, and uh, you know, being from Manitoba and back home, it was, yep. it was awesome. Um, so that, that was, that was the last year. And I was with Johan Hedberg who ended up getting traded here. Um, and did well in playoffs and spent a couple of years here. And so um, I, I, I really, and it was me at the end of my career and, and I really realized I guess the love of the game and the love for the players that play and then able to work with some young guys yep. um, to be able to do what we did. Um, so that, that was in my mind, that was, you know, it was nice going back. It was nice. I mean, yeah, I would like to play that. You know, I'd love to have done all that stuff at the same time. Uh, would love to have won a trophy there uh, with Manitoba Moose and all the guys there. That was, that was one of the most fun years I had and, and uh, still good friends with uh, a few of the guys on the, that we played with and that was it was nice well what a great way to end to have those good feelings so at the age of 37 you have this outstanding career you get to retire you're kind of back home i do want to mention in 2009 ken you were inducted into the manitoba hockey hall of fame congratulations on that post-career 2001 you've retired if i may ask about your family if i may ask about how you became the owner of the 31 sports bar and grill it's always fun at the 31 is your slogan. Yeah, that's it. How did, how did you transition into this next phase of your life? 
Yeah, that was that was uh, that was a bit of a process. I, I retired uh, two thousand one. Um, moved back to Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm not from a big city. I don't like. Uh, I, I was a guy that would go to New York or Los Angeles and stay in the hotel room for as long as we're there because it, it scared me. I was. I eventually grew out of that, but uh, but uh, yeah. When 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 I retired, I came back to Pittsburgh and I started. Uh, you know, I. I wanted to keep busy and do something. And I, uh, I worked with a good neighbor of mine for acclimation systems. Um, that was a software development company for adjudicating healthcare claims, the HICWA forms, a little different than Canada, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when computers and everything in the IVR interactive voice response and technology was really for that point picking up. And so I worked with them and we worked a little bit with, uh, with a company in Canada and, and uh, getting the system uh, to, to work there. So I did that. And then after the software development company, after that, I worked at a, uh, I sold insurance with Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield um, uh, as a sub agent with the agency. And so I did that for about five years um, from there. I knew that kind of wasn't my thing, but uh, you know, it, just trying to learn experiences, business experiences. Um, and I, I had been looking, I took some real estate courses with, uh, while I was in Toronto with, uh, with some friends out there with, who was with me, you know, page at that point. And so there's always a passion with real estate. And I hadn't, I, I found a piece of property that had a bar on an informing bar and a piece of real estate that looked interesting and, and got involved with that and, uh, been doing that ever since. And, uh, the service industry, from what we've gone through, as you've seen as well with the uh, last couple of years, it's been challenging and a half. And, uh, you know, I got some good good people working with me. And um, one, one girl, Nicole Baker, that I've, I've, I've met along the way, that uh, she's helped me get me through a lot of tough points in my life and get me going to where I I need to be and, and uh, try to make, just making things better, making things successful and try not to fall in that abyss or that, that hole and, and try to make and give back to the communities what we're, we're trying to do and then make sense to us. And it makes us feel good too. Fabulous. Well, as you mentioned, Ken, Pittsburgh is a Steelers town. It's a Penguins town. It's a Pirates town. I guess without the NBA, the, the Pitt college hoops is the thing. The hoops are hoops are up there, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, sports, uh, Penn State, Pitt, yeah, you bet. I have to ask you, and looking at what you're up to today, I came across a term I've never heard. I hope it's not a pejorative or a slur. I'm going to get in trouble. What is a yinzer? Yinzer. <laughs> a yinzer is uh, if anybody's from, I'm going I'm to go a little Canadian on this because no one down here would understand. This. <laughs> okay, so please do. Maybe not people up in Canada either. Like I said, my dad was in the Air Force. We lived in Nova Scotia, Bull Lake. They're agreeing with Nova Scotia. Um, and and we played a lot of hockey tournaments through there growing up. And you'd go to, I think it was Cape Breton. It was, hey, guys, how are you? Hey, buddies, how are you guys doing? It's just always that little traditional slang. And then Pittsburgh is downtown. You can find books on it. How are, hey, these guys, what are these guys doing? So that's uh, the same type of thing. Gotcha. So the Yinzers are the locals. The Yinzers are the locals and they rule. Yeah, you got it. Excellent. 
Ken, as we get closer to wrapping up, and I appreciate your time, I did want to ask, I mean, you've played with and against some of the biggest names in the sport. There's a great photo I found, which I'll also post about Wayne Gretzky's shooting on you, but you got that net covered. He ain't scoring on that one. What was it like to be on the ice with you, two, the two biggest, 99 and 66, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux? Any comments on those two? Yeah, that was, that was uh, honestly, to be a, to be a player to have an opportunity to play in the NHL, to have a, the opportunity in that window to play against uh, and with, those two guys is, uh, you know, you're, you're very blessed. You're very fortunate. I mean, two of the best guys uh, that ever played the game, they're ambassadors to the game. They, they've led it. They've set all the records pretty much. And, and to see their differences, the, the tough part is, is when people, I'm, you know, living here in Pittsburgh, they say, who was better, Mario or uh, Gretzky? And, and my, my answer is always, I'm a big Gordie Howe fan. <laughs> yeah. I played with Mark Howe in, uh, in uh, Philadelphia, and, and uh, his dad, Gordy, came down to a game here and there, and uh, Mark sat beside him. I remember talking to him, and, you know, his, uh, Gordy's granddaughter, Mark's daughter, he's, she she babysat my kids in uh, Detroit. So the, ho- the hockey that I've, I've been lucky enough to be around and uh, the players with Wayne Gretzky playing against him and, playing with Mario and and, uh, and seeing what he's done for the community here in Pittsburgh. I mean, you, you, you look at the history of Pittsburgh, I mean, there's some, you know, the Carnegie's and stuff like that. And I, I got to say, I, I put Mario in that list along the way because what he's done for this city is second to none. Is You know, we're very fortunate to have him. So I got, I got my coolers to say for all the guys that played the game and uh, – I'll tell you my favorites along the way, but not right now. Hey, well, that's fabulous. He's a re- he is a real icon there. Ken, my personal favorite growing up was the king, Borea Salming. Yeah. He was a teammate of yours. Any good memories or stories about Mr. Salming? Uh, yeah, he. I mean, for, for a young kid, like, and I got to say, I didn't, I mean, 18 years old, getting drafted and coming in, and, um, as much as you collect hockey cards and understand the game, watch a game, to play with a guy like Borea Salmi and and, uh, and and some of the guys that played against with Montreal Canadiens back in the early, you know, my exhibition game days. Um, and and it's just amazing in itself. Like, I'm obviously lost words, but with Borea, like, to see him step up on a guy, guy coming down over the blue line, he steps up, does his little sweep check and may or may not get the puck, and the guy will step in and then, he turns around, comes back in, takes him out. It's like, how the heck does that happen? Mm-hmm. And 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 what a super guy he was. And he, and I know, with uh, talking to Al a couple of weekends ago, Al Ifrady, um, talking about Boria. Like Boria was such a a, a a team guy and would help us out and talk to us and uh, you know and and smile and laugh and make things make things okay. Like he could just he was just an amazing guy. That's great. I think as a goalie, I, I would have been even more nervous that you had to practice with two guys coming down the wing, firing at you every single practice. I'm talking about Wendell Clark, Rick Vive. Was that, I mean, it must have been great to be able to have a practice like this, but it also must have made you pretty yeah. nervous. I am going to wrap up by asking you, Ken, to tell us where we can follow you and when any of our listeners are in the Pittsburgh area, where we yeah. can find the 31 Sports Bar and Grill. 
Yeah, 31 Sports Bar and Grill is located in Collier Township, exit 55 off of uh, Highway 79 when you're going down south for all the snowbirds. Yeah. Um, 31 Sports Bar and Grill, watching bike, 1020 watching bike. Um, we, we try to we work well with our uh, our um, local alumni guys. They come in, they, they will uh, we'll, we'll watch a game together and and try to keep involved with the community. We raise money for uh, different charities. A lot of, a lot of them down here are for uh, the veterans uh, and service dogs to help them out, and just anything we can help out with to give back from what they gave us along the way. So, and we support the local bands. Uh, we have a nice deck outside that uh, gives us a little seasonal, nice view, and uh, we're just trying to make things as comfortable as we possibly can. Fabulous. And do you want to tell us your uh, your website address or your Twitter handle, whatever you like people to go to? So, yeah, just so, just social, just regular social media, 31 uh, Spurs Bar and Grill here in uh, Bridgeville or Collier Township, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Fabulous. Uh, I do a podcast as well on the Inns are Crazy. It's called uh, Ken Reggett and Friends. We've had Craig Patrick. We just had Ally Freedy on uh, two weeks ago or a week ago. And, uh, you know, just, just uh, trying to get – give some back again, like today, some of these hockey stories back to the community. Well, that's great. Well, we will all listen, subscribe and share to that podcast. Ken, I want to thank you for all your time and all your great memories. You're very loved still here in Toronto and to the listeners. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto legends podcast. And on behalf of Ken Reggett, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.